Inter Miami continued its recent good run of form this past weekend with a valuable road point against Orlando City, but it also finished the 2021 regular season without a win against its arch rival. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Miami Total Football Radio, a.k.a. Miami Total Football, wait for it, Radio. I am Franco Penizo, half of your co-hosting team of this podcast, the number one podcast on all Inter-Miami news, analysis, opinions, and more. And joining me this week is not Steve El Primo Brenner. Steve is, we'll say he's out with an injury. No, he's actually on assignment. I think he's back in New York. He'll be gone for the next two weeks. So we have a very worthy replacement, someone that can more than fill the shoes. And that is Jose Armando, who returns to the podcast. Jose, how are you doing today? Hey, Franco. I'm happy to be back. And um, listen, we had a lot of fun last time. But Inter-Miami, they had they found a way to turn things around just a little bit. Not as much. Don't get too excited. They, But they did turn things around. And so I'm hoping this week, you know, it's a lot more fun than when it was last week. We can talk a lot about, a lot about positive things about this team right now. Yeah, we can talk about a game because last time we had you on, we didn't have a game to talk about. That The game against the New York Red Bulls was postponed due to inclement weather. This time there was a game, although there were no goals. So we're making slow progress, I guess, incremental progress with you on the podcast. Maybe the next time we have you on, there will be a goal fest and we'll have a lot more to talk about. But this one, this match wasn't as eventful. There are scoreless draws that have a lot of action. This was not one of them, although there were a few moments. We'll touch on those. We'll touch on this weekend's game against FC Cincinnati, and we'll also do the Q&A session at the end of the podcast as well to answer some of the listeners' questions. Post it. Let's not waste any time. Let's jump right into it. So, let's get to it. Okay, Jose, so as we just mentioned, Inter-Miami went to Orlando, went into Exploria Stadium for the latest edition of the Sunshine Clásico, El Clásico del Sol, and the game finished as a 0-0 draw. Another result for Inter-Miami. They have now just lost once in their last eight games. So they continue to pick up points in the East. And it's a valuable point on the road against a good opponent, the second place team in the Eastern Conference. But no goals in this one. This was the Inter-Miami lineup. It was Nick Marsman in goal. Lewis Morgan as the right wing back. Leandro Gonzalez-Pires as the right center back. Nicolas Figal as the middle of the three center backs. Christian McCoon at left center back. And Kieran Gibbs as your left wing back. In the midfield, you had Victor Ulloa replacing the suspended captain Gregory. And then you had Blaise Matuidi to his left. Up top, you had the front three of Rodolfo Pizarro on the right. Gonzalo Higuain at the striker position, and Robbie Robinson on the left. Now, not a whole lot in this one. There were a couple of big saves from Nick Marsman. One early on in the 12th, 13th minute after Nicolas Figal is whistled for a handball in the penalty area, but Nick Marsman comes up with the penalty kick save, his first since joining Inter-Miami in the summer. And Let's be honest, the take wasn't very good from Tesho Akindeli. He shoots it, tries to shoot it to the left, but leaves it too close to the center. Nick Marsman guesses right and jumps on the ball, makes the save. After the match, he says he was he, he felt it was going to go that way, so he, was, he even used the word lucky to describe the save. But I thought his second save late on to preserve the shutout in the 84th minute 
getting a cross goal and then pushing uh, Antonio Carlos's header away. I thought that was a very, very good save. More impressive than the penalty kick. For me, he was probably the standout performer for Inter Miami. He was named the man of the match, also voted to the MLS Team of the Week as a reserve earlier today, Monday, when we're recording the pod. So a good performance from Nick Marsman. But the defense overall played well in this one. What did you think about the defense? Is that the biggest takeaway you had, just how well the defense played en route to getting its first clean sheet since week three of the season, since early May? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think they they did a pretty good job. And, and what's interesting to me is that, you know, they found a way to be effective, in, even though, you know, they had moments within the match in which they did not seem very well organized. But that's something that's going to happen. But you, you just have to overcome. You, you just have to adjust. And that's exactly what they did. And especially facing such a good team like Orlando playing uh, on the road as well. You know, that's something that's going to happen throughout the regular season. So um, it was good to see. I think that's the that's the takeaway from the game. And hopefully this is something that they can that they can keep up because if they want to make it to the playoffs, they're, they're going to need this type of performances. You know, sometimes you're going to have to rely on your superstars or whether it's Pipita, uh, Higuain or Pizarro to score the lone goal and maybe the one opportunity that you have in 90 minutes and that's the way you get three points. You know, that's that's usually what happens when you have superstars on your team. So, but, but for that, you need a, a good defensive effort and I think this, this was a, a very good game and a good example for Inter-Miami. Absolutely, because as we know, like attackers need goals, need to score goals to have confidence. Defenders and goalkeepers need clean sheets, need shutouts to get confidence. And Inter-Miami had gone a long time without doing so. Again, since week three against Nashville SC, since early May, May 2nd, I believe it was, if I'm not mistaken. So good on Inter-Miami as a whole and good on Inter-Miami's backline that they were able to find a different way to get a result against a talented opponent, especially after coming so close the week before against Toronto FC. Inter-Miami was up 3-0, looked like they were on the way to a clean sheet in that one, but then Kieran Gibbs scored the own goal and they weren't able to do so. Actually, I asked Leandro Gonzalez-Pires in the lead-up to this match against Orlando City whether the defensive players had been talking about wanting a clean sheet amongst themselves internally in the camp, in, in the training facility. And he said, yeah, look, we, we've been talking about that. We want to get one. They were able to do so a couple of days later against Orlando City. Let's switch the gears to Nick Marsman, who, again, touched on what he provided in this one. Up until this point, a lot of the narrative around him or the talking points around him were his feet and how good he was with the ball at his feet, his distribution, his ability to to ping a pass, whether it was a short-range pass, mid-range pass, or long-range pass, just his calmness and composure with the ball at his feet. Hadn't seen him make a whole lot of big saves. I don't think he's been tested all that much, but he also didn't make any real big saves up until this point. In this one, he makes two very notable ones, the penalty kick save, and then later on with that nice right-handed mitten that he does to push away Antonio Carlos's header. I think that's a pretty underrated save, all things considered, because that that was that's not an easy save to make to get across the goal line, shuffle your feet, get over it, and, and then be able to dive. He, he looked like a cat, actually. It was like a cat-like reflex, the way he just pounced and, and made the save. Right. So, you know, it's a completely different game, obviously, if he doesn't make that, doesn't make that stop. So what did you think about him and his performance in this one and just his overall growth within the team over over the last couple of months? Well, I think there's a couple of things with with Marsman. I think the first one it, it's it's fundamentals. Um, you can see the way he moves um, within the box, how how good he is, 
and and you know that that's first off that's that's great to have a good a good goalkeeper that knows how to play his position um not only for himself for him to be effective but if, to help out his teammates and and that's the other part of it communication i think you can see how um they have been able to communicate a little bit better with the three center backs i think he likes that formation and uh, obviously you know that's something that comes with time because you know as soon as he came in the expectations were high because uh, inter miami needed a goalkeeper and um and when when I, the team needed a good performance from him right away so he didn't have a lot of time and i think he was able to put a couple of performances that, that were eye opening and then you know now i think this is probably his best game but you know it all, it all starts with communication you know the the, the relationship that that's going to take time to build between uh, whether it's figal pires uh, um in the back you know those are the two key players of course in terms of leadership macun is there of course but you know he's he's a young player mm-hmm. so everybody has to help him out and so i think that's uh, it was just a matter of time and i think you know it's going to get better from here yeah, look, and let's listen to this quote from him after the game, talking about him finally getting a clean sheet because it definitely seems like a slight, slight weight. I won't say a big weight, but a slight weight was lifted off his shoulders. Let's listen to this. Yeah, I was already waiting a long time for a clean sheet, I have to say. Almost last week, but in the end, uh, not yet. So uh, I'm very happy I could be uh, useful for the team and, and save the point. Yeah, of course, what you say, like a clean sheet is, is like the biggest achievement, I think, for the defense and for the goalkeeper and, and um, gives a lot of confidence also towards the next game. So we were waiting a long time for it. Now we got it and hopefully, yeah, we can continue uh, that. Jose, in addition to him getting a clean sheet and something, you know, that you touched on, different points of what he brings, something that maybe isn't so tangible but that, you know, at least for me, I, that's that's how I perceive it when I see him play. And I don't know if you agree. I, we haven't really talked about it. The word in Spanish is transmitir. And in English, I'm not sure what the word is. Maybe gives off. Transmits would be the literal definition. But, you know, I, I think he has a more commanding presence about him in goal than Inter-Miami had before his arrival. I think he just, he gives off more security uh, at the back or, or assuredness, safety that you know you have a goalkeeper back there that's reliable that will come off his line and, and get the ball to thwart d- danger. He can make good passes. He can, I don't know. I just feel like he, he gives them more calmness and composure, obviously with the ball, but just in general, uh, seguridad, more security there at the back. Do you have the same feeling with him or do you still think that he has to show more in that regard? No, I think, you know, I, I think, you know, you're absolutely right. I, I agree with you 100%. And uh, and I think, you know, that, that comes with time as well. You know, sometimes goalkeepers, uh, as they come in, it's very important for a goalkeeper. Preseason is, is very important for a goalkeeper because you need to have that relationship. And uh, obviously, Marshman did not have that this year. And so uh, I think it took a little bit of time. But still, uh, since the first couple of games, we saw how, you know, they can actually understand the way that Phil wants them to play, talking about the defense. And now it comes to the next part of it, right? Because Phil sends the message in the locker room. But once the players are on the field, they have to make the decision. And so defensively, the goalkeeper can see everything from the back. You know, sometimes um, uh, people joke because uh, so many 
um, goalkeepers end up being analysts. And that's why, because they see everything from the back. And so right. um, they can understand the movement of the attacking players and they can actually, and they have to guide their defenders. And so, you know, I think he, the goalkeeper should always be talking to his defenders, but, you know, that don't, doesn't necessarily happen all the time. And so I think it's it's good that it's happening now with Marsman. And I think it's good that, you know, we still have a long way to go in the regular season. And that relationship should get better as matches go by. I do think it helps him that, obviously, he has three center backs and sometimes five defenders in front of him helping close up those gaps. I think that's really what's been the difference for Inter Miami since the last time we spoke on, on this podcast is that now they're, they've tightened things up defensively, become a little bit more solid in that way, not giving up so much space and, and thus not giving up so many chances and thus not giving up so many goals. So I think that has been beneficial to the team and obviously beneficial to Nick Marsman because again we haven't seen him make a whole lot of saves I had heard from a few people some that work in the business saying that well he can't make any saves to save his life which I didn't agree with because I don't remember him seeing or him having that many opportunities to make big saves because Inter Miami has not given up a whole lot remind you or as a as a reminder he was thrown right into the fire after arriving from the Netherlands. He was in goal for that 5-0 demolition at the hands of the New England Revolution. It's obviously not a good way to start uh, your time with any new team. But after that, then came the changes from Inter-Miami. And then came this recent good run of form in which they started to give up less opportunities, less scoring opportunities. And we didn't really get to see him make or have opportunities to make big saves in abundance, which he, in this game, when he was called upon, he came through in a big way. Switching gears to the attack, Jose, what did you think of the overall performance? Obviously, there was something that was left to be desired there from the attack, only two shots on goal. Neither one, well, actually, I won't say neither one, because the first one was a was a very good opportunity. The second one, not so much. And now that first one is Rodolfo Pizarro on a set piece, so not from the run of play. A set piece that ends up falling to him. He tries to flick it in from close range. Don't think he got a whole lot of power behind it. Either way, Pedro Galese of Orlando City, their goalkeeper, the Peruvian international, makes a fantastic reflex save. And Inter Miami was unable to score. The second one comes later on. Gonzalo Higuain from a tight angle. Pretty routine save for Pedro Galese who covers his near post. What did you think about the attack? What what did they not do well? What did they need to do better in order to generate more chances or uh, have have a better opportunity to score a goal? Well, uh, well, listen. Obviously, we it, it wasn't a very good game offensively for Inter Miami, but I think it all starts with possession. They didn't have the ball, so um, I guess we could blame a little bit the the midfield. Um, was Blaze doing enough with Victor in the middle where they put in pressure? You know, maybe. Um, trying to, um, you know, just take over the midfield and maybe um, create chances out of that. Uh, it was a challenging game offensively, but you know that comes that that happens in the regular season. Uh, there's there's no doubt about it. You're not going to have um, a, a good performance every single game. You're not going to have a bad performance every single game. It's an up and down, especially in MLS. So I think this was a this was not a good game offensively. 
And it all starts with the middle of the field to me. They were not able to recover the ball in the right place at the right time to create a counterattack opportunity. And maybe that was the name of the game offensively for Miami. It didn't happen. Okay, that's fine. You still got a point because you, you had a good performance defensively. And, and sometimes you just have to go with the flow. And that's that's what it is for Inter-Miami at the moment. Going to Orlando, getting a point, that's okay. You didn't have a good performance offensively. You move on, on to the next game. Of course, you don't want to see that type of performance again, whether it's at home or on the road. You want to be good offensively, but you know that's going to happen. Uh, to to I, to close out, you know, it, it, the reality right now for Inter Miami is that if you're going to go on the road, you get a point against Orlando, you take it. That's a good result for you. No, it's definitely a good result. Absolutely, I 100% agree with that. I don't want to make it seem like it's not, but obviously, when you don't score a goal, there's plenty of things to address and to to touch on. I'm sure Phil Neville this week will, although it's a different opponent. But there will be things he wants to correct. He touched on that after the game as well. He said, look, against better opposition and in away games, we're going to need to be finer with the details. We're going to need to be a little bit better in the final third. Now, Jose, there's two, there's two things I would like to touch on in terms of the attack. Now, there's one thing that you mentioned that I think we should dissect in a little more detail. But I'll start with what I think was one thing that hurt Inter Miami. And you said they didn't have possession. I agree with that. Obviously, the numbers back that up. But I think the tactics, the initial tactics in terms of the attack weren't all that beneficial for the team. Because if you watch that first half, Inter-Miami, by and large, plays short. Nick Marsman plays short. His goal kicks to either Leandro González-Pires or, excuse me, Nicolás Figal or Christian McCoon. And then they would look to hit long diagonal balls to the wingers, be it Rodolfo Pizarro on the right or Robbie Robinson on the left, neither one of them was able to do a good enough job consistently of winning those 50-50 balls and then helping Inter Miami initiate attacking sequences from there. So I think that was one of the reasons why they lost the ball so often. And I think the other point was what you mentioned about them not winning the ball back enough. And I think a reason for that was because Captain Gregory was suspended. The pit bull terrier, the rangy defensive midfielder, the hard-nosed tackler, the enforcer, not having him and his presence due to card accumulation, that took away that part of the game from Inter Miami. Now, Victor Ulloa, who came in for him, has been playing well as of late, but he's not that type of enforcer. He doesn't give you that type of bite and tenacity that Gregory does. Neither does Blaise Matuidi. So I think without either of, excuse me, without Gregory in there, they lost that 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 defensive steal and that ability to quickly initiate counterattacks from more advanced parts in the field. So I think that definitely hurt them, but I also think the tactics tactics uh, hurt them a bit, at least in the first half. Because in the second half, Inter Miami tried to play more. They tried to play and initiate sequences a little bit more. They did so more so through the left side than the right side. You can see that in the numbers as well. The touches that Blaise Matuidi, Christian McCoon, and Robbie Robinson had were were if I'm not mistaken, top three on the team compared to anybody else on on Inter-Miami. So the, there was more play coming through the left than on the right. So what what did you think about just the overall tactics and obviously missing, missing Gregory in there? Well, I think, listen, I'm going to be really honest with you here. My thought on this game for Inter-Miami is that they just wanted to keep the momentum going, right? They did not want it to go to Orlando and come back with a 3-0 result and no points and the momentum is gone, right? They wanted to go to Orlando and play a solid game. You know, if we get a point, 
then that's great. If we, I mean, if we, if we get three points, that that's great. But if we get a point, that's absolutely fine, and we move on to the next game. We're facing one of the top teams in the conference. We're just trying to get things going. A point on the road is good. We're still close enough to the playoffs. Keep the momentum going. Next week, different story. We go for three points. I think that's about it. Franco, I think that's that's the goal. I mean, honestly, if you ask Phil, he's not he's never going to admit to that. But that's the reality of things. It's a sure. coaching staff. You want to keep the momentum going. You know, right now, everything is positive around Inter Miami. They're not where they want to be, of course, but everything is positive. But if during the weekend Orlando scores four on Miami, then it's a whole new ballgame right now. Right. It's completely different. So, you know, it, it was this game was all about keeping the momentum going, and I think they did accomplish that. No, absolutely, and look, Inter-Miami, when you see the lineup, it's a more defensive-minded lineup, right? We've seen this since that game against the New Revolution, so it's not like Inter-Miami's coming out looking to be this attacking juggernaut. They're clearly focusing on trying to limit the spaces in behind and go from there and take their chances, create some things, be it on a counterattack or from some attacking sequences, but the priority is trying to stay solid at the back, limit the spaces and limit the opponent, and then play from there. It's not a team that's trying to necessarily dictate the tempo and throw numbers forward and try to score goals. It's a team that wants to be solid at the back and then go from there. So fully, fully against Orlando. Oh, and especially against Orlando it's, on the road. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, Nani didn't start in this one, but still, Orlando City has plenty of weapons that can hurt you, although Teshrak and Delhi for me was was pretty poor in those first 45 minutes. You know, Orlando City actually scored a goal in that first half, but it gets called back for offside on the use of VAR because Tesha Kandeli nipped it in from an offside position. He he was removed at halftime. Daryl DK came in and replaced him. Daryl DK was maybe slightly better, but not all that much better either. One last thing I want to touch on in this game, and this is more of a talking point for listeners, for fans, for us here on the podcast, maybe not, not something the team cares about all that much, or maybe they do. I, I, I'm not sure. But, Jose, Inter-Miami finishes 2021, at least the regular season, unless they meet Orlando City in the playoffs, without a victory against its rival. How much does that matter? Does that matter at all? Does it matter a little bit? Does it matter a lot that Inter-Miami did not beat Orlando City in the 2021 regular season, and unless they meet again, will not have done so since last year? How much how much know. stock should we put into that? Because anywhere else in the world, you know, I mean, obviously this is the second year of this rivalry, but anywhere else in the world, not beating your rival is 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 a is a dent in the car, right? It's a it's a it's it could be a pretty big dent depending on on where you are in the world. Yeah, I think I think that's a big deal someplace else. I don't think that's the case for Inter Miami. I I am still not sold on the, um, on a rivalry between these two teams. Um, I've heard people in Orlando saying that they do not like this rivalry of sorts. And, you know, MLS tends to sort of impose rivalries, whether mm-hmm. they think it's it's going to be good for them and marketing-wise to create a rivalry. And obviously that makes a lot of sense. Orlando and Miami, well, fans can travel and all that that we already know. Um, I don't think it is a big deal right now. Um, just because, you know, it doesn't really affect the momentum of both teams. You know, I, I think Orlando is at, at another level right now fighting for, um, you know, a top spot in the conference and Inter-Miami is someplace else, you know, just 
uh, trying to survive, getting um, into 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 Phil, Phil Neville's system and understanding it. So I don't think that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Although I would hope, I would hope when it comes to the fans, it is because I would like to see our rivalry. And I think sometimes when you, when you know when rivalries are not born on the field, sometimes it's fans who end up building that rivalry because of how much they put into matches between these two teams. So hopefully fans are disappointed right now and want to want to see their Inter Miami beat Orlando. Hopefully that's the case. I don't know if that's a, that's what you think as well, but you know, for me, I, I don't think it's a big deal right now. Yeah, I don't think in the grand scheme it's a huge deal, but I, for the fans, I think. That's what's what's driving this rivalry, and I think for the fans that they didn't win a game this year against Orlando City, I think that that hurts Inter Miami's overall 2021 picture because fans travel to this game like they have for every game over the course of the season, but especially for this game, they turned up in numbers and they made noise, represented, and this was the second time they did so this year in Orlando, and they weren't rewarded with a win, so... I think it's not a huge deal, but I think it is a, a dent in the car, like I said. Jose, let's leave it there for now. Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and take and preview, excuse me, we'll preview the game against FC Cincinnati after this. That's what the foundation was tonight, our defensive uh, play, the, the, the way that they all fought for each other, uh, I thought was fantastic. And, uh, you know, we, we keep adding a little layer of uh, something else to our game that gives me great confidence in Okay, Jose, so Inter-Miami plays this Saturday on the road against FC Cincinnati. They've already played Cincinnati on the road this season. Inter-Miami won by a 3-2 score in that one, and that was back in in May, if I'm not mistaken. Cincinnati is one of the worst teams in all of MLS and in the Eastern Conference. They are in 13th place right now. They are 6 points behind Inter-Miami, so... This should be a winnable game for the South Florida team. What do you expect from this match? What do you expect from Cincinnati? And what do you expect from Inter-Miami? Well, listen, we just mentioned how um, Inter-Miami should be fine with a draw in Orlando in the the last game. Well, this is completely different. Um, When you're facing Cincinnati, you know that most of the teams that you're um, in in the middle of the table fighting for uh, a playoff spot with you know, they're most likely are going to win against Cincinnati. So um, you have to win this game. You have to work uh, thinking that, you know, this is a must win. And um, if you approach it that way, and um, I think Inter-Miami, even though they, they're not going to have um, some of the players available, they still have the quality to beat Cincinnati. Cincinnati is just, it's just disappointing. You know, I remember watching them in their USL championship days. They, they were a competitive team in that league. But for some reason, they were not able to uh, make the transition into MLS and, and just to continue with that um, mentality they had in USL championship. They were a team uh, aggressive and, and good defensively. Well, not anymore. And so if you're Inter Miami, you, you have to take advantage of it and go and go for three points. I think if you don't get three points, talking about momentum again, next week, if it's a 1-1 draw or whatever, if they come out with a one point, we'll be disappointed and we'll be talking about everything that they um, didn't do that night because uh, one point is not enough against Cincinnati. That's, that's, that's it. I mean, there's, there's no other way to look at it. 
you have to win this game. Must win is, I, I think, is not apt for for the match given how much time remains in the season, but it's pretty close to it because, again, Inter-Miami is seven points behind right now. DC United for the final playoff spot. Inter-Miami has games in hand, yes, but games in hand don't mean points in hand necessarily. So they have to beat Cincinnati, a team that's below them in the standings. When you're playing teams that are direct competitors for those final playoff spots or below you, you need to take those points. Cincinnati, again, is in a bad way. Yes, their stadium provides a good atmosphere. We saw it earlier this season back on May 16th at TQL Stadium. That was the first game there that Inter-Miami didn't have the easiest of times. They only won it late thanks to a Gonzalo Higuain goal. So it might not be the easiest game. For Inter-Miami, given the absences, which which we'll touch on in, in just a bit in more detail, but you need the three points. You need the three points to avoid a setback, not only in terms of the results, but also for confidence and the momentum that the team has. Because like we've mentioned, at least on one or two occasions so far on this podcast, Inter-Miami has been on a good run of form as of late. Just one loss in their last eight matches, picking up points here and there, but you need you need three points against against Cincinnati. That's at least what the aim should be, and I imagine that it will be. So I expect a more slightly more aggressive, a little more attack-minded Inter-Miami in this one. Jose, what is the key to the game for Inter-Miami? What do, what do they need to do to give themselves a shot at three points? You could get a draw and be, and be okay with it, but you, you, the, the ideal scenario here is three points. No, I, I won't be okay with a draw. I want three points. I think they need three points and they have to go for three points. If they end up getting a draw, it's going to be a missed opportunity on my book. Mm-hmm. But I'll go with, listen, it, it all has to start with possession. They have to go back and, and you know, have possession at least early on, you know, to limit the opportunities for the home side, which, you know, it seems like a lot to ask. But the reality is that you're facing Cincinnati, so you have to go into this game and think about dictating the tempo. And so you start with that, and then you have to be effective in front of goal. You have a couple of chances early on, you know, put them in, and just let Cincinnati know this is not going to be the night for them. And so, you know, be aggressive. That, that's what Inter-Miami needs to do right now. And I think they, they still have a talent to do that regardless of the players that are not going to be available they can do that and if they're able to dominate from the get-go they should be in pretty good shape so i agree with you that inter miami needs more possession than they had against orlando city they need to have the ball more in this one last time inter miami played fc cincinnati again at tql stadium inter miami finished losing the possession battle 53 to 47 so but they had but no no it's not bad but they had more of the ball so I agree that they need to have more of the ball than they did against Orlando City. Dictate the tempo more and obviously create opportunities. But for me, the key to the game, for me, Gonzalo Higuain needs to deliver. He needs to score a goal, get an assist, do whatever it takes. He needs to be involved in whatever Inter Miami does in the final third and lift this team and push this team to victory because they are going to be down three starting caliber players. Rodolfo Pizarro is with Mexico. Robbie Robinson is with Chile. Kieran Gibbs is most likely going to be out with uh, the groin injury he picked up over the weekend. Something we didn't touch about in the first segment that, that I meant to touch on. He picked up an injury. The initial outlook, although we haven't spoken to Phil Neville this week for an update, but the initial outlook last Friday was that Kieran Gibbs could be out for a little bit. So those are three starting caliber players out. One's a DP. 
that puts, for me, the onus on Gonzalo Higuain to step up and deliver. That's what DPs get paid to do. That's why they are DPs. So, for me, he needs to really influence this game. Last time out, he scored two goals, including the late game winner, as I mentioned. He needs to be involved. He needs to either find a way to make an impact in that final third, be it for himself or teammates. He needs to help make the difference. Hacer la diferencia, marcar la diferencia, as we say in Spanish. So, for me, it's Gonzalo Higuain. Can he lift this team to victory? Obviously, it's a team effort, but he, he needs to be very, very involved. Jose, I don't know if you have anything you want to add there, but if you do, you're more than welcome to. Otherwise, what do you make of the three absences and the lineup changes that will have to be made? Who do you put in into the into the starting lineup for two, if not three, of those players if they're all out? Well, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what, what feel... Um, Listen, I think I feel is he still? They do have quality, like I mentioned before. So I wouldn't change much. Um, I personally personally don't like very much Brickshay moving forward on the left side. But I would say that would be the player coming in replacing um, Karen Gibbs. I think for Pizarro is you know, I, I think the team has already. Unfortunately, they they are used to playing without him. Um, and of course, I wish him the best of luck with the Mexican national team, and I think he should go every single time they call him up. But um, I think they can adjust to that. And um, with Robbie Robinson, that's the one thing with me that um, I would like to see Juli Carranza step up a little bit. I think initially, and I don't know if you agree with this, um, Carranza should be starting honestly, in, in Robbie Robinson, Robbie Robinson's spot. Um, if you look at the background for both of these players, I mean, Robbie Robinson is coming off um, the draft, you know, just not a lot of experience. Julian Carranza, he's used to playing at the professional level. Um, you would expect Carranza to be the starter over Robbie Robinson, but that's not the reality for Inter Miami. So this is an opportunity for Juli, and hopefully he's able to take advantage of it. I think he had a good start to the season, but, you know, for some reason, he, he hasn't done enough in training session to be consistent as as, as Inter-Miami would have wanted. So I would go with Carranza. I agree with you, by the way, that, you know, this is the time for Pipita to step up just because, you know, you have to be a leader. You have to show that you can make your teammates better and that this is this is exactly the time for Pipita to do it, whether he scores when the team needs him the most or whether he helps out the players that are coming in from the bench, which is something that we saw early on from Inter-Miami, players coming off the bench and they, they're making an impact on the game. So Pipita needs to help on that. And I think going back to one podcast that we did a while ago in Spanish, we mm-hmm. talked a lot about him. We did, and, we did. And, and, and we asked for him not only to have good stats to score, but to help his teammates uh, just be better, be a better player every single game. And I think he's starting to do that. And hopefully he's able to do it again against Cincinnati because I think that's going to be huge, not only for this game, but moving forward. Because it's going to come the time, it's going to come the time in which you know pe- um, teams will concentrate on stopping uh, Pipita. I don't think it is the case right now. But you don't want to get to a point in which you rely so much on Pipita to be the key player 
uh, in a sense that they stop him and then you're basically done. You know, you want to have a, a good collective effort. And I think it all starts with him. So hopefully he's able to do that. And hopefully Juli Carranz is going to come in with the, with the right mentality, just be aggressive and just understand that this is your time to shine as Robbie is with, with the Chilean national team. It's funny that you mentioned that podcast that we did in Spanish when we talked about Gonzalo Higuain. If you are a listener and you understand Spanish and you missed it, go back and, and look for it. We did it a few weeks ago. I actually spaced on that when I said it's good to have you back. We haven't spoken since the, the game against the Red Bulls because that's not true. We did do that podcast in Spanish. But this, I guess this is what happens as you get older. Things just start to, to fall, <laughs> fall out of your head a little bit. Because, yeah, look, I actually got some comments after that game too. I got a little nudge-nudge. Because in the game that, that followed, immediately followed two, three days later, Iguain scores, I believe it was two goals? Yeah. Yeah, he scores two goals, and, and, and he was the, the man of the match. So, you know, I got, a, I got a few little winks there saying, like, oh, okay, well, there, 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 he, there you go. Um, so, look, yes, absolutely, Gonzalo Iguain needs to have a big performance in this one. As for the changes, I get what, you're, what you mean that... Maybe based off their resumes, Julian Carranza should be getting more of Robbie Robinson's minutes, who's a player who's in his second season, who came out of the, the, the collegiate level. So I, I get what you're trying to say there. I don't think it'll be Julian Carranza, though, that comes into the lineup. I think we're gonna it's going to be pretty straightforward at the left wing back spot. It'll be Breck Shea for Karen Gibbs if Karen Gibbs remains hampered by that groin injury he sustained in the first half of this match against Orlando City. That's the change that was made in the game. Breck Shea was, was respectable in his showing off the bench, so I think Breck Shea like-for-like like switch, or, or pretty like-for-like like switch. I think you'll see Indiana Vasilev in on the right wing for Rodolfo Pizarro. Vasilev started somewhat recently and had shown some good things there with Lewis Morgan as the right wing back, their ability to attack down that side. He gives them the speed that they'll lose without Robbie Robinson, so I think Indiana Vasilev comes into the lineup. And then the left wing spot is tricky. I had mentioned maybe Federico Iguain in the video that I do on Miami Total Football's YouTube page, but he's not a left-sided player. He's more of a 10, and I don't know if Phil Neville's going to change the structure of the team. Maybe he does. Maybe he does go with a different look and puts in a Julian Carranza as a second striker, or he puts in Federico Iguain as the 10, but I think Phil Neville's going to keep it as is, stick with what's been working, and I think he's going to go back to something we've seen, or we haven't seen for a while, but we saw earlier this season, and that's use Jay Chapman out on the left as a inverted left winger, or a tucked-in left winger, because he's used him in that spot previously, and I don't think it's his best spot, I don't think it's Jay Chapman's you know, area of strength. I think he's more of a, of an eight. Maybe he can play the 10 or he's, he has said he can play the 10. But I think given the lack of overall options, I think you'll see Jay Chapman there on the left wing. Phil Neville did say after the game against Orlando City, after the scoreless stalemate, that Jay Chapman is a player that he's going to have to turn to soon and that leaving him out of the, out of the lineup is one of the hardest things Phil Neville has to do on a weekly basis. I I don't know if I take that all at face value, but I do think that him saying he's going to play Jay Chapman soon. I think maybe that was a slight hint at him possibly being the the answer or the replacement for Robbie Robinson out there on the left. Not a like-for-like like switch at all, but just again, just given the options that are available, I think that's what we will see. So I think we'll see the Gregory will come back into the lineup as well, of course, in there for for Victor Uyo. That's my that's my predicted lineup. Nick Morrisman in goal, 
Morgan as a right wing back. Luis Morgan as a right wing back. Leandro Tales Pires as a right center back. Nicolas Figal as the middle center back. Christian McCune as the left center back. Breck Shea in for, I assume, the injured Kieran Gibbs at left wing back. Your midfield will be Gregory and Blaise Matuidi. And then your front three will be Indiana Vasilov on the right. Gonzalo Higuain up top and Jay Chapman on the left. Jose, before we wrap up this segment, what is your prediction? What does Inter-Miami do this weekend? Do they keep on rolling? Do they keep things going with a win? Or is it a disappointing draw or defeat? No, I think they get the three points. I think, you know, they'll end up winning 2-1, I would think. That would be my prediction. Um, I, I think, like I mentioned before, you know, it's it's very important for them to to get off to a good start. And, um, of course, Cincinnati playing at home, you know, they, they will they will make things, things tough. It's not going to be an easy game, but they should be able to come out with three points and I would I would go with two one. So what what's my price if I if I end up, if I end up um, right in my prediction? <laughs> we 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 give you a round of applause here on Miami Total Football. You get all the <laughs> radio. You get all the recognition for getting uh, the right the right answer. Actually, Steve actually hit on two weeks in a row, and my parents who listened to the podcast were like, "Wow, Steve is no longer a primo; he's a brujo." So, <laughs> yeah, you, you'll get you'll get all the recognition in South Florida here on uh, Miami Total Football Radio. But I'll take it. <laughs> for me, I think I think Inter Miami wins two zero. I think that they will get another clean sheet and they'll win by multiple goals for the second time in three weeks, for the second time in franchise history. I think FC Cincinnati's in a bad way. I think Inter Miami, even with the absences should be able to take care of business in this one. Even though it's on the road, I think Inter-Miami can get the job done. Let's leave it there, Jose. Let's take another quick break, and we'll come back and do our Q&A session after this. Okay, Jose, actually, I need to come up with a nickname for you, Jose. We're, go- we're going to get a nickname for you. i got to think about what it is. El Catracho is probably too simple. It might be fitting. It might be good. But we'll- I'm going th- to put some thought into it because we need-, we need you to have a nickname, man. We- I-, I want you to have a nickname just like El Primo, Steve Brenner. People have taken to that. They call him El Primo. We need to come up with a good one for you, Jose. But I- I'll-, I'll get back to you on that. Let's just jump into the Q&A session here. It's The first one comes from IMCF Traveler, so that's Inter-Miami Club de Football Traveler, and he asks, if you were forced to part with two out of these four players, which would you choose to part with? Pizarro, Leandro González-Pires, Figal, Leardom. Oh, my goodness. Uh... Those are good choices, man. I mean, why would you? Why would you even think of that? <laughs> hey, it's the uh, question we got. It's the, it's the question. I don't know if see. So I don't know if the question means like right now today, or if the question means after the season. I don't know if you want to start or if you want to think about it a little bit more. I already have my answer. I already have my answer. Uh, of course, you had the question early on. I'm here. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, go ahead and and I'll okay. I'll think about it a little bit. I think you and I will have different answers here because I think you okay. you rate Pizarro. In this team, in terms of what Inter Miami can provide higher than I do, I think he's a good player, but I don't think that in this setup 
with how things are going, even though he's shown some good things as of late, I don't think he's necessarily a, a great fit here, a natural fit here. So I would say Pizarro and Kelvin Leardam. If I had to get rid of two out of those four right now, or at the end of the season, and I could keep the other two, I would keep Leandro Gonzalez Pires and Nicolas Figal, just because I think they can be a good center back tandem for a few more seasons to come, and I think they they can give you more, especially if, if you have a better team, that they could be your center back pairing, and that they can not only be good defensively, they can also give you some things with the ball at their feet in terms of their contributions to the attack be it with the long range passes from Leandro Gonzalez Pires or Nicolas Figal dribbling forward which we haven't seen much of this year because of the the system change and the team just not being that good but I think both of them are are pretty pretty good players I think Nicolas Figal has has does have some lapses in concentration at times but I would keep the two Argentine center backs that that's just what I would do okay 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 so uh we're going to agree on on Leardam I think i that would be one. Yeah, I think that's the easy choice, right? I think that's the easy yeah, choice out of those four. That, that's my choice. And no offense, honestly, because I, I, I really think he's a good player and he should stay with the team, right? Uh, but that would be my first choice. Um, you're right. I mean, I think Rodolfo Pizarro, he's a quality player and, and he should stay. Um, I think he has, you know, I don't think this is going to happen. You know, I think he, eventually he's going to leave Miami. But if it was my choice... Uh, he will stay, and um, I will keep uh, Figal as well, just because I like him. Um, you know, he's gonna make mistakes like every defender, uh, but I think he, with him just being able to play center back and right back, I think he's a good player. And um, so that leaves me with Leandro Gonzalez Pires out of the team. So that would be my choice. So mm-hmm. I will, I will send packing. Um, Leandro Gonzalez Pires and, and Kevin Leardman. That's that's definitely a understandable pair of selections. Leandro Gonzalez Pires also does get carded quite often and then misses games as a result of that. So I, I understand that argument absolutely. Let's go to the next question. It comes from Twitter. Last time we played Cincinnati, we won without Robinson, Gibbs, and Pizarro, who was subbed in at the 90th minute. This should be another win for Inter Miami. My question is, who do you think will have a bigger impact for their national team for the upcoming qualifiers? Rodolfo Pizarro or Robbie Robinson? So, okay. So this is an international question, but related to Inter Miami. Jose, do you want to start here or do you want me to start? Yeah, I can start on this one. Listen, I don't think... I think Robbie Robinson is going just to check things out. I don't think it's going to be... Uh, I don't think he's going to get a lot of action there. Um, it's just about the opportunity going to training sessions. It's the first time for him. So Robert Robinson, I don't think he's going to have the opportunity to, sh- to showcase his talent as much as Rodolfo Pizarro has been able to do recently for 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 Mexico. So um, I would say uh, Pizarro, um, he has an opportunity, especially thinking that, you know, it's three games in six days. So... You know, everybody that's there, they must be ready to contribute. So I, I would think Rodo Pizarro is going to, is, is going to, at least he's going to have more minutes with Mexico than, than Robbie Robinson. I wish we disagreed a little bit more here, Jose, so we could have a little more banter and go at each other, which I'm sure <laughs> we'll do later in the future. But, but I agree with you 100%. I think Rodolfo Pizarro, because of the moment he's in with Inter Miami, because he's more experienced, he's someone that the head coach can trust a little bit more. I think he's more likely to 
see more of the field in these three upcoming World Cup qualifiers for Mexico. Mexico plays at home against Jamaica on Thursday. Then they play on Sunday against Costa Rica in Costa Rica. And then they travel to Panama for a match next Wednesday with the Canaleros. So that's three games in seven days. I think he'll see... I don't know if he'll see a lot of minutes, but he'll see some minutes, I imagine, given the short turnarounds and the fatigue, accumulated fatigue that other players will will deal with. So I think we'll see Pizarro have more minutes just because of the simple fact that this is Robbie Robinson's first exposure to the international level. First, he's not only going to a national team for the first time, but he's going into South American World Cup qualifiers, which are more pressure-packed, Chile needs points he's going to have to get used to the the speed at which the game is played at this level this is another level two or three above mls he i don't know how much spanish he speaks he's being integrated to a new team has to get used to his teammates has to get used to the way the national team coaches work and operate and how they do things so there's a lot of things that will be coming at him in the next few days with chile so i don't think we'll see all that much of Robbie Robinson. If we do, I would say a late substitute cameo in one of the three games. Chile plays Brazil in Chile. They play away to Ecuador after that on Sunday, and then they play the following Thursday in Colombia. So three games that are pretty, pretty difficult. Don't think you're going to throw him into the fire just like that. I think it will, again, I think it'll take some time for him to to really get settled in there. But Hey, I wouldn't rule him out seeing any time. Maybe a few minutes here, a few minutes there as a, as a late substitute. I just don't think he'll see a whole lot of time to make a, a huge, huge impact. Next question comes from Sal Paradise. Any updates on when Shawcross, Alvarado, and Jones will be available? Any updates on what Diego Alonso is up to these days? So I'll, I'll start here, Jose, if that's okay. We don't have any updates on Shawcross and Alvarado or Jones just yet. Phil Neville keeps reiterating that Ryan Shawcross and Ventura Alvarado will be available soon, but he has said that now for a few weeks and they haven't dressed. And that's something, you know, it's something that we can touch on at a later date. Again, because I, we've definitely touched on it a few times, Inter Miami is really secretive when it comes to, to injuries. We don't really know what their injuries are. Now, at one point earlier, or at one point a few weeks ago, Ryan Shockers had some back problems. We don't know if that's still what he has or if there's something else. But that's what was told. That's what we were told. Since then, it hasn't really clarified what he's dealing with. Jovan Jones, we know it's a knee injury, but we don't know what kind of knee injury. I asked Phil Neville very clearly or very straightforward in a in a press conference, and you know Phil Neville was just kind of bit his tongue and said it's a knee injury. Wouldn't give me any more details than that. Alvarado, I don't know what his injury is. Not sure what it is, but obviously he picked it up in training not long after signing a deal and has not been able to to make the bench just yet. As for Diego Alonso, I actually got an update on Diego Alonso last week while I was in Los Angeles for the MLS All-Star Game. I heard he's in Uruguay and he's just biding his time, not necessarily in a rush to jump back into anything, but that's where he is right now. He's not in Miami any longer. So you won't run into him in the streets if, you, uh, if you're out on South Beach or out on uh, in Coral Gables or anything of the like. No, I don't think he wants to be in Miami. Hey, I think he should hey, be. Hey, if I was making the money he had, I, why, I mean, Uruguay's home for him, but hey, man, there's worse places to be than South Florida. And, hey, I don't know if you remember, Jose, but he did a Zoom call with us when the pandemic hit, or he did a few from what looked like to be his condo, 
And, you know, he would do it, I guess, on his balcony. And you would see the reflection of the ocean and the beach in his uh, his screen door or his, his sliding glass door behind him. And, I mean, I was like, man, Diego Alonso must have a really nice place. So, hey, if I was Diego Alonso with the money, he, I'm sure he got when he was let go. Because, look, you, we know a lot of teams sign... Or, or agree to terms, rather, excuse me, agree to terms with their coaches or with front office members for non-disclosure agreements. So they get paid a pretty nice sum just to stay quiet, just not to spill any dirty laundry after their dismissal. Because if, as far as I know, Diego Alonso has not done a single interview since leaving Inter-Miami. He's not talked about leaving. He's not said anything of the like about leaving. So I, I imagine that there's a non-disclosure agreement there. I can definitely tell you there's been the same done with other Inter Miami employees that have left. That's uh, I've, I give you that as information. Sources have told me other members of Inter Miami, when they've left the club, have absolutely signed NDAs, non disclosure agreements, and they've gotten paid for that. So anyway, to answer the question, Jose, what, do you, what any anything you want to add there? No, because uh, I honestly I thought Diego Alonso should be back in Uruguay, but you just confirmed it, and um, that's all. That's all I know from him, yeah. and um, yeah. I think you, you covered it pretty well. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. He actually, look, he, he'll pop back up at some point, And at some point, maybe not in the near future, at some point, there will be conversations. There will be some light shed as to his real feelings as to what happened here, whether he thinks it was a fair decision or not. And, and he'll share his side of the story because we haven't heard from him. We haven't heard from him since the whole ordeal of, well, he thought he was fired, then he wasn't fired, then he then he was let go. We haven't heard about that. We haven't heard about how he felt about the whole thing in his first season and why it was so challenging. At some point, we'll hear from him. Might be a while, though, because the NDA probably, probably, this is not information, just a supposition on my part, probably stands for a good few years. So we'll wrap up with this from Gabe P. Have the contracts been picked up or is it a no and is it looking for the end of the year? Would we be able to let Leardam go after we just got him? What will happen to the player that's a center back that was playing in Bolivar now that Marcelo sold his percentage in the club? Can he be a starter? Is he any good? So a few questions there from Gay P. He normally hits us with a few. Jose, do you want to start there or do you want me to, to start there? I'm not sure where I'll begin, but what, what, what do you want to do? You want me to go or you want to go? Well, I didn't get the first question about the contract. So what, what is he referring to? He's just, I think he means... Have decisions been made as to whose options will be picked up and whose will be declined, or is that, oh. or will that happen at the end of the year? Obviously, the announcements won't come till the end of the year. Have decisions been made? I don't think decisions have been made, but I imagine Inter Miami has an idea. You know, Chris Henderson probably has it mapped out more or less of who they're planning to keep and who they're not planning to keep. Going forward, because especially with the financial situation that Inter Miami is right. in, so I, again, that's just my my supposition from the outside. But I don't I don't know that as information, so don't don't take that as news. It's just me what I think. I just not it's not necessarily what's happening behind uh. Behind no, but the scenes. Uh, listen, and that's what needs to happen, right? It, it's going to come down to um, Inter Miami having a roster in which you meet whatever the standard is for you because obviously with the restrictions and and everything that's going to be going on in the next few years for Miami that that's what they have to do so um i think it, it's all going to come down to the until after the regular season all the playoffs is if Miami end up playing in the playoffs and that's the way it should be honestly because you don't want to be talking about it 
right now when you know players need to concentrate on having a good season and, and this could be you know the team that we see from inter miami could be really really different in the next next year or so and and um Oh, I think it's going to uh, be very different. I absolutely yeah, think it'll be very different. It, it's going to be very different until, you know, if, you, if you're Chris Anderson right now, you want to see this team succeed, right? Because, you know, this is going to be maybe your best chance in the next few years. And so that's that's the first question. And then the other one question about the the, the center back from Bolivar, I think he should, he should be fine. Uh, I mean, obviously with Marcelo Claude, which I don't know if that decision has been final. It, it, was, it was reported... Late last week, that right. it did that the deal has gone through. That Jorge and Jose Mas have bought out Marcelo Claude and Masayoshi's son's stakes in Inter Miami, and I believe it was reported by Sportico.com to be worth 300 350 million dollars in that ballpark. So, according to reports, Jose and Jorge Mas are now the majority owners, if they weren't already, of Inter Miami, they own most of it. I, I think it's a good question. I think it's a good question from KP. Do we have confirmation? From we, ha- we haven't no, gotten confirmation. We have not gotten confirmation. I did see. Right. I did see Jose and Jorge in the hotel lobby in LA, but we did not have a chance to to chat. It was it was very quick in the busy busy LA lobby. Uh, but I think it's a good question from KP because you know I think people have forgotten, or and a lot of people maybe don't know that Jairo Quinteros. A Bolivian national team player is on Inter Miami's roster, and he has he made his debut with Bolivia's national team this year. He has three appearances. He is on loan at Bolivar. He has been since the right. 2020 expansion season. He's never suited up for Inter Miami. I don't even know if he's ever been in South Florida, but he's officially a player on Inter Miami's books now. They've loaned him out, so you know he doesn't his hit doesn't count against the cap, but. What happens to him? Because obviously Bolivar is Marcelo Claudio's Bolivian team that he owns. He's Bolivian, so you have to imagine the ties that, you know, the reason he was signed, or one of the reasons he was signed initially is because he has ties to Marcelo Claudio. So yeah. what, what happens to him? You know, do they keep a player that Marcelo Claudio clearly has ties with, given that they're cut, cutting ties with him, or do they stick with him? Because look, he is a young player, so I can't imagine he's making that much money. He is on their books. It's not like they have to pay a transfer fee for him if they want to bring him back next season. And he's a young international. So, you know, if he can develop, if he can blossom into something, not only could they sell him for uh, a sell-on fee or a transfer fee, he might also be a, a temporary solution to the issues they'll have in terms of being next able year. to build a roster ne- next right. year and the year after that because of the the implications from Matuidi Gate. So I, I don't know what they do. I think it's a good question. I would imagine that they don't keep him, but I could very easily see them keeping them. I'm going to be a Steve Brenner here. I'm going to I'm going to ride the fence and and say say a little bit of both. But I th- I think that they don't keep him. I think that they heal. They'll 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 try to maybe get rid of him and and cut ties completely from Marcelo Clouded this or anything related to Marcelo Clouded this this winter. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a good scenario for him. Although you know, if if he remains under contract, you know things can happen. He can actually be um, here next year. It could happen. But if, yeah, you know it's 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 going to be an interesting thing with if with him especially because you know he's he seems to be a good player for for Bolivia and so um, hopefully I I hope he get we get an opportunity to see him because you know you get to monitor these guys and see what they're doing and you know it would be a shame to follow a guy and never actually see him play here in South Florida so 
I would say, you know, it's it's up in the air for him. So you agree? It's kind of, it could it could go either way. It could go either yeah. way. Especially, I mean, look, I think what helps the situation is the situation Inter Miami is going to be in in the next two seasons. I think that that helps his cause or his chance of actually playing for Inter Miami because we know that they're going to be cash strapped, and maybe that makes their decision to bring him in, especially with as Steve Brenner has reported in recent weeks and recent pods that. Leandro Gonzalez Pires and Nicolas Vigal are two players that could end up having to be moved because of their cap hit. So you're going to have to replace them with someone younger, someone cheaper. Maybe Jairo Quinteros fits that bill, but we'll see. We'll see what Inter Miami does. Look, if you want to get a glimpse of him, maybe he plays in these upcoming World Cup qualifiers for Bolivia. Maybe he gets some time, he gets some, some minutes there. So keep an eye on those games and maybe you'll see a glimpse of what could or could not be a future Inter-Miami player. Jose, that does it for the Q&A session. Let's give our final thoughts. We'll start with you, then we'll go to me, and then we'll call it a show after that. Well, um, final thoughts, just, you know, a little bit of everything from from me. First, um, hopefully Inter-Miami can continue to have good performance defensively. I think that's going to be huge for them moving forward. Um, second final thought, um, it comes down to World Cup qualifiers in CONCACAF. It's going to be really exciting. So just watch for the World Cup qualifiers. It's an interesting window in September. We have another one in October. I think the U.S., they have a very good team, but they have a lot of competition as well. And it's going to be really exciting. And my third final thought comes down to South Florida again. I just want to give a shout out to Miami FC, a team that, you know, it's uh, having, they are having challenges and they have been able to overcome it. So if you're a South Florida soccer fan, you have to try to watch whenever Inter Miami is not playing and they are playing, just try to watch a little bit. They're doing a good job and representing as well. South Florida having good results in USL championship currently fighting for a playoff spot. So if you love soccer, Go watch both of your teams, Inter Miami and Miami FC, of course. Jose, I think you just set the Miami Total Football Radio record for final thoughts. You gave three. I think the previous record was two, but you gave three. So (laughs) congratulations on setting a new Miami Total Football Radio record. My final thought is also on national teams, and it has to do with news that came out last week that has carried over into this week and will trickle into next week, and that is that clubs in Europe, primarily in England, have decided to not release players to their national teams that have been called up for these upcoming World Cup qualifiers. And this is particularly the case with players that are that play for South American national teams because those countries have been red-listed over COVID infection rates according to countries in Europe. Now, that's not necessarily the full story because... England has higher infection rates than some countries in South America. The real issue here and the real issue that has always existed between the tug of war between clubs and countries is clubs not wanting to release players because they don't want to lose their players for a certain period of time, don't want to risk them to lose them to injury. And here, because of everything that's going on in the world, there would be a mandatory quarantine period for the a lot of these players upon their return to the UK or to Europe. And that's really what's at play here. They don't want to lose these players for 10 days or however their respective quarantine periods would be in a given country after international duty. And that, while understandable, is just the world we live in today. It's par for the course. 
you know when you have national team players that they're supposed to go away on national team duty. It's part of the deal when you sign them. You know that that's part of the bargain. But alas, here we are in a in a situation where the clubs are now breaking rules that are established to benefit themselves and hurt national teams, even at the expense of World Cup qualifiers. These aren't even friendlies we're talking about. These are World Cup qualifiers that will determine who makes it to Qatar 2022 and not. So I think this is a big, big issue, really a detriment to the South American national teams and just international soccer in general because if clubs can pick and choose when to release players, well, they're never going to really want to release their players. And obviously these are under extreme circumstances, but the tug of war that has been calling up national team players and trying to get them away from their clubs has now even gone further into the club's favor, which I don't think is a good thing for international soccer. So very unfortunate, at least in my opinion. But we'll leave it there. That does it for this week's pod. Thank you guys again so much for listening. Please make sure you give us a follow on all our social media channels. It helps us out tremendously. I know we say that a lot, and the weight of it might get lost given how frequently we say it, but it does do wonders for us. Also, give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. We definitely appreciate those, and they help make our day as well when we see those nice, nice comments. So, for Jose Armando, I am Franco Penizo. Thank you so much for listening. This is Miami Total Football Radio. We'll talk to you guys again very soon.